0: All right, we're going to jump into the Word. We're on the Jesus trip. We're in the New Testament, which is good. Amen. Tell your neighbor you're excited. All right, the first service, they were running around the building. They were loud and boisterous. I don't know. They were excited. So I'm hoping for the same from you guys. All right. Come on, give it up. So a little recap. Let's talk about the Bible again, because we just made a big transition, a big, big transition. We just stepped into a whole different section of the Bible called the New Testament. The Bible separated into two parts, the Old Testament, the New Testament. The Old Testament was an old covenant. It had different promises. There were people who had a relationship with God based on a whole different set of rules. But the New Testament is the introduction of a massive transition. It's an introduction of where God is stepping on the scene, and he's going to visit the whole situation big way so you got those two things 66 books there's 31,102 verses 1,663 commands amen and Brian has every one of them on his fridge looks at them every morning Brian, not true okay all right so anyway 240 different authors 240 different authors 3,237 different characters and just for your own information 31 guys named Zachariah 31 guys named Zachariah and nobody named Carl. So, but there's only one story, one story, and it's all about. Jesus, there's a big, big story about Jesus. So Jesus is in the Old Testament; he's concealed. We spent a whole lot of time unpacking the Old Testament and seeing Jesus. How many people saw Jesus in the Old Testament? Anybody? How many? How many saw him in a few places? It was good. It was exciting. We saw him. We on purpose dug through there and we showed you Jesus is there. You gotta look past the surface, but you'll see that he is there. In the New Testament, we stepped into the New Testament. You got got Jesus revealed. I love in the New Testament when Jesus is walking with the boys on the road. To Emmaus and it says there they are they're walking away going to a warm bath that's what Emmaus means a warm bath warm bath with candles and and smelly incenses and stuff they had enough they couldn't take it they're walking away from the purpose of God but he caught up with them. They didn't even know who he was, but he caught up with them. Isn't it great that no matter where you are in life, Jesus will catch up with you. He's going to be there. He is there. He shows up. He says, fellas, he broke the word to them and it says from from Moses all the way through the prophets, he showed them himself. So what, what do you need to look for in the Old Testament is Jesus. In the New Testament, we see Jesus. He's revealed right there. John 14, 7 and 9. It says, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him because you have seen me. You've seen me. And he who sees, Me sees the Father. If your God doesn't look like Jesus, you gotta trade Him in because Jesus is God, He is the full representation of God. Don't think that there's you know two, well, there's there's the good God and the bad God. No, there's just Jesus. If any if, if you have a frame of reference at all that doesn't look like Jesus, the Father and Jesus are one, they're exactly the same. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. It's not like you got the grumpy father and the happy son. They're both really, really good, and they're nuts about you. I was talking to him this morning, and again, he's in a really good mood. And he loves you, and he's nuts about you, and he loves you. So Jesus told them all about the Father. Showed him, he who has seen me has seen the Father. In the Gospels, we see Jesus like a photograph. A photograph. You look at it, you can see things. It's a you know kind of a flat image, but we look at Jesus, we see this outer manifestation of God and what He's like. And so Jesus is like a photograph. Matthew nine thirty five. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every every disease among the people. Don't you wish you lived then? It was so much better to be a Christian back then when Jesus was really there. Like when Jesus was on the scene. You know, not like now when we go, oh God, please come. Jesus, where are you? It's terrible that some people believe that. Some people believe that. Wouldn't it be great if Jesus was here? He's here. In fact, go ahead. Touch yourself. Smack yourself. right. There. He's here. He's here. He is absolutely in total union with you. It is better right now than it was having him walking around. In fact, speaking his word and speaking his name is even better than a physical manifestation of his presence because he is absolutely here. You see, what's better about now is that back then, if he was there, he wasn't here. If he was there, he wasn't here. If he was in Galilee, he wasn't in London. But guess what? He's here. He's here. He's he's here. He is filling every single thing with himself right now. And Jesus fills everything in every way. And we are never, ever separated from his miraculous, glorious presence. True story. True story, I'm telling you. All right, so then we get in. We're gonna get into the, the epistles. Going to be a few months in the Gospels, but we're gonna get into the epistles. And when we look at the epistles, it's it's not like a photograph. It's like a CAT scan. So like, I mean, I could take a picture of Bill and show you Bill, but if I had a CAT scan, I could show you Bill's insides. That'd be awesome, hey. So you can see what's going on in there, like they do a CAT scan to see what's, what's happening below the surface. And you see, in the epistles, they start to tell you what's going on behind the scenes and underneath. And, and that's pretty cool, because Paul tells us what was the eternal purpose of God, what was going on, what was happening. And you see, the apostle Paul in Corinthians, he said, God was in Christ. See, we saw, they saw, they, they saw the outer revelation of Jesus dying on the cross, but what was really going on? God was in him. God was in Christ. What was going on? He was reconciling the world to Himself. Isn't that great? And He was not imputing their trespasses against them. And He's committed us to that word, that great word, the thing of reconciliation. Here's the great word Your sins are forgiven. You've been set free. Welcome to the love of God. You're healed. You're delivered. I mean, my goodness, it's good, good news. Praise the Lord. I'm so glad we put all the clappers on the front row. Amen. Amen. All right, Malachi, we were in Malachi last week and, and look at this. Oh sorry, Genesis 3. We we're way back in Genesis 3, I got ahead of myself. Right at the start, right at the start when it all it all fell apart right there. I mean right away God said I got a plan. Right away, God said, "I got a plan." He said, "Don't worry about this. I got a plan, and what I'm going to do is way better than even what you guys have now." He said, "I got a plan." He said, "Between your seed with the woman and the devil, they're so going to put enmity between you. There's going to be a battle between between the devil and the seed of a woman in every generation, and the devil hates children." devil hates babies. You know why? Because every single time he's looking, is this the one? Is this the one? And there's going to come a day that the seed of a woman, a male pronoun, a woman is going to give birth to a male child and that child is going to be the son of God. And so he says, there's a seed. That's why the seed is capitalized. There's going to come one seed is going to be divine and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You're going to have a confrontation. It might look messy on him, but the end result is going to be that you are done. You are done. You're crushed. So right away, that's prophesied right at the start that someone is coming. So who would you be, Who should we be looking for? We should be looking for there's going to be a woman who's going to give birth to the child of God, a seed. A male child is going to be born. So right away, we know that's coming. And Malachi, Malachi, last week, he started off as saying, hey, I love you guys. And they said, whatever. I love you guys. Does it really prove it? And when I think about it, just studying the Old Covenant and going through it even this week in our small group, I thought all these people were believing in a future promise. They were believing in a day that would be better. Someday it's going to be better. And, and those people hung on. They, they didn't have what we have today, but they were believing that there's a day coming when God's going to visit us and he's going to deliver us from this mess. He's going to give us a new heart. He's going to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. One day God will visit us and conquer all these things that oppose us. And they were hoping and they were believing, you know, we We live on the other side of the cross. We live on the other side of the covenant. And we live in that new covenant where it's not someday, but it's now. I mean, how blessed are we to live in a place where we're not longing for something. We're living in the reality of it today. So how grateful am I for people who, who stood strong and all they had was the faith in a day when God will do something great for us, whereas we believe and we have faith in the day that God completely delivered us and set us free. So thank God. Just cloud of witnesses up there right now saying, that's true, Carl, you have no idea. Thank you. Thank you for those who stood strong. But here it is. It says, Jesus is saying, look, guys, I know it's rough, but there comes a day. And here's one of those promises. Then, say then. Then, then the Lord is going to come suddenly to his temple. What temple? Well, he's going to come to the temple in Jerusalem. No, temple, capital T, temple. He's going to come to his temple. Slap yourself. He's going to come to an earth suit. He's going to come to a body. He's going to take on a body. You see, they said to him later, They said he, said, he said, you know, this temple will be destroyed, but I'll raise it up again in three days. And they went, ha! What, what are you there? They're there in the temple. What are you talking about? You're going to destroy the temple, raise it up in three days. Jesus said, You watch, it'll be assigned to you. The temple will be destroyed, but I'll raise it up in three What temple was he talking about? He wasn't talking about bricks and mortar and stones, he was talking about this temple. I'm going to lay down this life, but you know what? I got the authority to pick it up again. And he talked about, really, he's declaring there's a day when God will become a man. He's going to come suddenly to his temple, the messenger of the covenant, who you're looking for so eagerly is surely going to come, says the Lord of heaven's armies good stuff. Amen. So these are promises, promises, another promise in Isaiah chapter 7, 10 to 14 says, moreover, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. He's surrounded by a bunch of enemies. If you feel today like you're surrounded by trouble, you're surrounded by bad circumstance, you're surrounded by, it's just struggle after struggle after struggle. God, help me. Here was a promise to a guy surrounded by enemies. He said, if you're surrounded by enemies, Ahaz, listen, ask for a sign for yourself from God. He said, ask either the depth all the way to Shoal or right to the height, all the way to the heavens. Ask, ask. And Ahaz said, I will not ask for a sign. I will not test you, Lord. And the Lord said, is it a small thing for you to weary man? Will you also weary God? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Lord, I'm not worthy of a sign. He said, oh, for goodness sake, I'm trying to prove to you that I'm going to deliver you. And he wouldn't even let God show him a sign. But God said, I'm going to show you a sign anyways. What is the sign, pastor? What is it? Look what it says. Here's the sign. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. So what we're reading right now in our passage, I know this is usually like a Christmas sermon, but here we are. We're right here at the incarnation. You know, the incarnation declares to you once and for all that God has united himself with his creation. God has cellularly bound himself together with mankind on every single level. God is not over there. You don't have a God who, oh God, please come. You know, I'm going to go to a worship service and hope I run into him. No, you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to try to go, please come over here, over here, God. Take your hands, put them together like this. Go ahead. It's all right. Don't be afraid. Put them together really tight. Squeeze and then pull it hard to your chest. God is closer than that to you. He's in absolute union to you. He's not, way up there, hope he comes. He is right here. The incarnation says that God has bound himself to you forever of his own choice. He has knit himself to every aspect of your life. Every single thing is smeared with God himself. The incarnation is that wonderful, beautiful declaration that God moved into the neighborhood, not just the neighborhood. God's not in your job. He's not in your marriage. He's not in the city. He's in you. He's in you! Ha! God is committed to complete victory and your complete reconciliation. I might have jumped ahead because I was too excited. Those are the facts. Say fact. There's two points today. There's a fact of incarnation and then there's a force of incarnation. But here's the fact. The fact of incarnation, his union, the union of divinity with humanity. In fact, I called, here's what I titled the sermon today. I titled the sermon, Adopted into the coolest family. We've been adopted into the coolest family. I mean, we've been brought into Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And in Christ Jesus, we have been brought together. We are united with Christ, and nothing can ever move us or relax us. You're never gonna let. You're never gonna let. Why do we say over and over and over and over and over? What a stupid song. Never gonna let. Never gonna let. Why do we do that? Because we're trying to drill it into your head that he's never going to let you down. Because for some reason we think, where is he now? He's right here. He is so close to you, and he's never, ever going to leave you or forsake you. Whoa. Whoa. Now in the early service, they were running around the building by now. And they were tired. Some of them were just like, my God. Never gonna let you down. All right. So Isaiah nine six. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will rest upon his shoulder. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. He is the Prince of. Peace. John chapter one. John chapter one. The others talked about the history. Mark he just jumped right into the story. But John started from a different place. John started with this. He said, "So the word became human. The word, the word that was at the beginning. In the beginning, the word already existed." So he's saying the word, and he uses word because uh, I think it's Heraclitus. Heraclitus. uh, I don't know how you pronounce his name, but anyway, he was the source of all Greek philosophy of Plato and and you know all these fellows. They all got their stuff from him. He started. He's the one. who formed that there was there was a creation there was a word there was a, a source there was something something eternal that that is the source behind it all the force behind everything and he used the word logos and that's where the word came from so so John wanted to pick up the word logos and you see with the Hebrews they believe the word God holds his word above his name God watches over his word the word the word with him the word the Hebrews word is a very important thing it's the source so he took both cultures that were prevalent in that day and he took them both and he brought them to a place where the Word was God, the source of everything, the the beginning of everything, where everything flows from the Word. The Word was at the beginning, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. So He says, Jesus, the living Word, came and made His place among us. The Word became flesh. God became a man. John chapter one fourteen now it says, and the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's only Son. From his abundance we have received. Grace upon 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 it says grace heaped upon grace upon grace, unfailing grace, favor upon favor heaped upon favor. There is a never ending flow from him of his unmerited favor and love and life. Amen. He came, and what do we expect because of his coming? A deluge of grace that comes from the throne of God that never, ever fails. Standing in the ocean in Barbados, we go to one beach called the Crane Beach, and I love that beach. But the waves are usually bigger there, they're stronger. You gotta watch the tide because they can suck you out. But I love it because you're you're fighting with the waves and they're pulling you and messing you, and you gotta keep your eye on them because you gotta look ahead because sometimes there's a bigger one coming and those will toss you and just mess you up. So but you watch, and I love doing it. And there's times I'm in there, I just think of this verse and I think about wave upon wave. As far as I can see. Grace is pursuing me. As far as I can see, there's a tangible manifestation of the goodness of God that is ready to toss me around, tumble me around, and ain't it fun? You should expect every day there's mountains of grace, heaps of grace coming your way. You should expect every day I am set up for the goodness of God. His unfailing love and faithfulness, every day from his abundance we have seen grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but... God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one, God, Jesus Christ himself, the word who was himself, God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed him to us. So incarnation, it's a serious doctrine. you got to have a great understanding of incarnation, all right? The word carnate, say carnate. Carnate, carnate means to invest with, to embody, or it might just mean fleshy. So there's carnate. Latin is carnatus or con carne. You come to my house, you can have some chili. Con carne. What does that mean? That means my chili's got some meat in it. We're going to have some meat in my chili. I like lots of meat in my chili. See, God became flesh. God, this is a massive truth. It's one of the biggest deceptions and lies. They had the fight in the early church because they said, how could God attach himself to the physical realm. How could God attach him to this mess down here? And there's a lot of people who think, how could God attach himself to me? Well, good news. He did. And he did it himself. And he did it without your permission. He said, I have come to connect myself physically. I've come to connect myself cellular with my whole creation. God became flesh and dwelt among us, the incarnation of a person who embodies God. See, a man didn't become godly. A man didn't behave good enough to be called God. It wasn't some person who finally, hey, look at that guy, wow, he's behaving like God. You know what they did say about him? They said, what kind of man is this? He spoke to the storm and they said, man, he's not your everyday guy, but he was. He really was an absolute everyday guy because that's what an everyday guy looks like. An everyday guy looks like Jesus, because every one of us, when the incarnation says that I have decided to smear the physical realm with my presence. So please never, ever be going, Oh God, where are you? The incarnation has made it clear that God is right here. Ha! 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 <laughs> ha! All right, incarnation. So the fact of it, it's an absolute fact. The incarnation is a fact, all right? Uh, Emmanuel, look at the, Matthew chapter 1, 21 to 23. This is an angel preaching to Joseph. He said, Joseph, don't be freaked out by this. I, I know you haven't even you know, been with this lady yet, but look, she's gonna bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Isn't that good news? Hallelujah. Amen. So as it was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, behold, the virgin. What are we looking for? Right in Genesis 3, what are we looking for? A woman is going to give forth birth to a boy, and that boy is going to be the son of God. The incarnation is an absolute fact. It's not just something we kind of read about and have fun at Christmas, Hey, eh? Little baby Jesus, woo No, that is a massive demonstration that once and for all, God has aligned himself with mankind to bring all that he is into a full connection and relationship with the physical realm. Not someday, you know, not somewhere down the road, not if you jump through enough hoops, not if you, you know, check enough boxes, you can have God in every part of your life. Jesus has declared, I once and for all am attaching myself cellularly to my humanity and to the whole physical realm, the whole physical realm. All right, so God is with us. It says, you shall say his name, Emmanuel, because God is with us. Emmanuel, compound word, M, Manu, and L. The power of God, the hero God, the strong, powerful God, with God. God with us. Literally, the strong, powerful God is with us. He's with you. Not your church, your neighborhood, religion, your job, your city, blah, blah, blah. Although all of that's true. The beautiful thing about the incarnation is he is with you. Ha! Huh. Everywhere I go, my friend Jesus. Everywhere I go, I got a big, big shadow. Everywhere I go, I am packing the kingdom. I'm packing the power of the Almighty. Everywhere I go, I am smeared with the anointing that shatters and breaks every yoke. I'm smeared with the power to speak life into every circumstance and every situation. The incarnation declares that God became flesh and made me his fixed dwelling place. George is even still awake. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Luke 2, 27 to 30. Simeon. Say Simeon. Simeon was a prophet called of God. He was praying at that time. He was going to the temple. What was he praying for? He was praying for the consolation of Israel. He was praying. He was revealed in the spirit that it was time for the Son of God to come. And he was praying for that. Another lady, Anna, a prophetess, she was praying for it. And she was prophesying to people, He's coming. I mean, John had already gone out and says, Prepare the way of the Lord. He's coming. He's coming. There's one coming. There was a prophetic realm declaring that the Son was coming. Well, here he is. It says, by the Spirit, he woke up that day. And the Spirit said, Go to the temple, go, go. There's something to see. He went to the temple that day by the Spirit of God. And when he got to the temple, a young couple walked in. And when they were walking in with a the child, he went, Ah! The seed, the promise. The new covenant. And he walked over and he took the baby out of their arms. And here's what he said He took him up in his arms and he blessed God. He said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For I have seen a baby. I have seen a child. I've seen two women with a child. What did he see? He said, No, what have I seen? I didn't see a baby. Because I've seen the incarnation, because I've seen this, I can go now. It's done. What did you see? I just saw a baby. What did you see? He saw the incarnation. He saw God has become flesh. I see a baby. No, I see the salvation of God. The incarnation had to happen, but because the incarnation happened, the whole finished work is absolutely guaranteed. God has attached himself to his creation, and he will never, ever fail us. Amen. Can I get an amen? God and Amen. All right, I've seen the salvation. You know what you need to see is is every generation. There's something God wants to do. And what I love about that generation is they understood what God was doing in their day. What is God doing today? You see, every day you look through the Bible and in every generation, whatever God wanted to do, it says, I do nothing except I reveal it to my servants, the prophets. And in every generation, we've got to be that prophetic company that knows what God's doing today. What is God moving? What is he shifting into the seen realm today? What is he moving from the unseen to the seen today? Are we the generation that knows what God is doing? Are we the generation that is ready to agree with heaven and prophesy and declare what he wants to do today? We're not just a bunch of people. God saved them, hanging out, waiting for the bus to take me to glory. You know, you he saved you for today. David served the purpose of God in his generation, and then he went to be with the Lord. What is God's purpose in your generation? What are you doing right now? Can you see? Can you see? Can you see? Can you hear? Can you hear what God is doing today? So, there's always got to be that generation of people. So, the fact of the incarnation, the fact. The incarnation is the spirit of God colliding with the natural realm to manifest his glory in what can be seen. Christmas, even Christmas, is a compound word, Christ and mass. It means the anointed one to smear and to rub and mass is the physical realm. So Christmas is all about the physical realm. We're celebrating, not that it's Christmas, we're celebrating the event that happened years ago. We're celebrating that once and for all the physical realm has been smeared with the glory of God. The physical realm has been smeared with the anointed one and that's what Christmas is all about. John Trapp, he said, put it. God put himself in a lousy leprous suit of ours to expiate our pride and robbery in reaching after the deity and to heal us of our spiritual leprosy. If he had not assumed our flesh, he had not saved us if he hadn't assumed flesh, he had not saved us. This is important to understand. C.S. Lewis in his book Miracles, he said, the central miracle asserted by Christians is the incarnation. The, it's the central miracle asserted by Christians. Every other miracle prepares for this or exhibits this or results from this. It is the central event in the history of the earth. The very thing that the whole story has been about is God returning to his creation and saying, you're mine, and smearing us with his presence you got to understand the incarnation or you'll be tempted to go God come help me when it's God completely in union with you forever and nothing can separate you from his love I want to deliver you from a rotten, stinking, lousy religion that puts distance between you and God. There is no distance between God and his creation. The incarnation announces once and for all, I have forged myself. I have completely welded myself to my creation and I'll never, ever let it go. Pause and think about that for a second. That's what I want to achieve today. Please, those prayers that are like, oh, we're begging you to visit our city. I mean, I I go to prayer meetings with people that have been preaching for years and they're like, oh God, what do we have to remove to open the bronze dome over our city? What do we need to confess so that you can come to us? And I'm like, what covenant are you in? Jesus is the new and living way. There used to be distance, but now there's not. God used to be Unable to connect with us, but he took it in his own hands, and God connected himself with us, and he's never going to let us go. We don't have to beg. It it sounds like at some of these prayer meetings that come on, let's pray harder, let's get him out of heaven, let's get him this time. If we just shout loud enough and we get enough people to agree, we can get God out of heaven tonight. You ready, people? Let's do we all agree? Let's unite our hearts. Come out of heaven, please. Would you please come down to our messy situation? What kind of mindset is in people to believe that? It's not sound doctrine. It's not even biblical. And yet, if you're a leader and you pray those prayers, you reinforce in all of the people who sit in front of you, God is far from you. The incarnation says, God moved in. He's closer than Jesus was to his disciples. Ha! 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 Thank you, Michael. It's true. Anybody else? I got a head nod. Got a couple of head nods there. So we're never going to hear those prayers again. We're not around here, right? When you hear them, you're going to go, poor brother. They're not even legal prayers. They're not even legal in the new covenant to declare something that God's not. It's so silly, and yet it reinforces in believers that someday we're going to overcome the reluctant God. He's so ticked off with us. Let's plead with him to get out of heaven. Now, there is going to be a prayer meeting. It's going to be a a couple weeks from now. And I had a whole bunch of businessmen, this inside stuff, right? I had a whole bunch of businessmen came here and wanted to submit an idea to have a Bible, Uh, 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 a true story, came and said, we want to share this with you. We'd like to have a, uh, a prayer meeting for the election because, you know, we got to pray about the election. I'm like, sure, it says pray for all those in authority. Pray for those. But they came and they had that second Chronicles verse. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then finally God will say, okay, being as you did that, reluctantly, although I will come out of heaven and touch you. It's an old covenant context. It's an old covenant prayer. It's under a Mosaic covenant. So they showed me the poster, and it had that verse right in the center of the flag. And I went, And before they even showed it to me, I said, I'll promote it as long as you don't have that verse that everybody seems to share, which is totally illegal in this covenant. And they went, this one? I went, yeah, that's the one. <laughs> so I took some time and explaining why I didn't like it. And I showed some several wonderful prayers in the new covenant that would be much better. And I showed the one in 1 Timothy, which had so much hope and so much power. Said, you know, we should pray, first of all, for all those in authority. And if you do that... It says that when you do that, it says that, that we can live peaceable. There's a promise. It's not pray for who you want in government, but pray for whoever's in government. If you pray for whoever, and that's a beautiful promise, right? Because you might think the person in government's awful, but you know, if you pray for the person in government, whoever it is, it says it'll go well with you and you'll be at peace. What an amazing promise. It says, and God wants that done. It's pleasing to God, the God who then also adds something else to it. He says that, that there might be salvation for everyone. So you know When we live those, those lives and we, we pray for peaceable, you know, I don't care who it is. I just want a level playing field that we can share the good news with everybody because we're not going to win the loss through politics. We're going to win the loss through telling them that Jesus moved into the neighborhood and he loves you and your sins are forgiven. Amen? But. Certainly, we got to pray for leaders, but thank God they changed that. because, You know, that is a prayer that says God is far away. And that kind of prayer puts distance between us, that we're trying to get God out of heaven. He's out. In the Old Testament, he was in a little box, stuck in a little room. But he's out, and he's not going back in. So let's quit praying prayers to put him back in. Got quiet on me in here. All right, a couple more quotes. Here we go, Are you ready? Uh, I love this. This is uh, uh, John Stevenson said, the one who became God and man stayed that way. Did you hear that? The one who became God and man stayed that way. The one who was touched by a band of Galilean disciples today is worshiped by angels. Very important. He didn't just become a man then, he's still a man. He didn't just become a man then, he is still uh Man. He's still a man. He's still a man. Uh Martin Luther said the mystery of the humanity of Christ that he sunk himself into our flesh. It's beyond all understanding. Now John Crowder, one of my favorite writers on this, John says, the incarnation is not simply a past tense event we celebrate at Christmas. The incarnation is a present reality. Let me start again just so I want to get your attention. All right. Have I got your attention? The incarnation is not simply a past tense event we celebrate on Christmas. The incarnation is a present reality. Jesus did not evaporate into smoke when he ascended. There is forever a flesh and bone human being seated mystically in the middle of the Trinity. And we are seated right there, woven into the Trinitarian life in the humanity of Christ. (laughs) Woven. Like, has anybody done some weaving Like, weaving is way better than just trying to attach you. When you weave it, like the the curtain between the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place, it was woven. It was an incredible piece of tapestry. That's why it's so amazing that it split from top to bottom. But we are woven. I am woven into Christ. I'm woven into the very fabric of the Godhead. That's where I am. I might be standing in front of you, but at the same time, I'm seated with him in heavenly places. Wowzers! If you want to know what's going on in heaven, just ask me.
1: Because I'm there
0: living out of the full expression and revelation of the heart of God right now. And you got to live that way. You got to believe that about you. You really, really do. Part two, number two, point number two, the force of the incarnation. Galatians 4, 5, 4, 4 and 5, he says, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that we could be adopted. He could adopt us as his very own children. What does that mean? I am a part of the very most cool family ever, ever. I am wound up, tied up, woven together into the Trinitarian life. I am wrapped up. There is Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Carl! Right there in the middle of it all. You are too. You got to see yourself there. You got to, got to, got to, got to. Now listen, look at Ephesians 1.5, New Living Translation. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us. His unchanging, eternal, never going to shift. It's my plan. It was always my plan. It's never going to change. It's my plan. His plan was to adopt us. Great theologian, West, he had his own translation. His translation, he said it this way, having previously marked us out to be placed as adult sons, to place us as adult sons through the intermediate agency of Jesus Christ for himself, according to that which seemed good in his heart's desire. God himself predetermined that I am going to adopt you see you're born from above you're a child of God born from God but in their culture there was an adoption where not only were you born as a child but you're spoken of now as my full-grown son the one who inherits everything and walks in every privilege of being my child see when you get born again you don't come as an infant I'm just a babe in Christ I don't know what I'm doing See, every single person who gets born again also gets adopted. And being adopted means you get full privileges as an adult son. Not as an infant, but as a son. Specific words for infants, not used in the Bible. When you get brought into the kingdom, you get brought in as an adult son with every privilege of an adult child of God. Let everybody say amen amen, because that's absolutely true, those are your benefits, that was the purpose of God, to adopt you, Romans 5, 15, but there's a great difference between Adam's sin, and God's gracious gift, for the sin of the one man, one man, God became a man, the one man messed it all up, well the one man, the one man brought death to many, but the other, greater, but even greater, was God's wonderful grace, and his gift of forgiveness, say gift of forgiveness, I don't know why people keep trying to earn it. It's a gift. When is a gift not a gift? When you try to earn it. The gift of forgiveness. It's wonderful. The grace and gift of forgiveness to many. Or many translations say the gift of forgiveness to all to all through this other man. You see, the one man messed it up, but another one had to become a man, and Jesus became a man. He identified with us fully, so as the perfect God-man with the blood of God himself. Sin was taken once and for all. He took it all so that we don't have to worry about it ever again, and now we have total access to the Father because the one man, he took all our sin and unrighteousness so that we could be called, declared, made holy and blameless in the presence of God, forever righteous in God. God. The one man, the incarnation, declares that God has dealt with everything that separates us from him, and we have been brought into his beautiful family. Wow, I think that is so good. I think that is good, good news. The one man, Hebrews chapter 2, 14, 15, verse 17. Because God's children are human beings, made flesh and blood, God became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, God, still God, very God, yet took on human flesh just like us, emptied himself of the privilege of divinity, became just like us, still absolutely God. Only by doing that could he destroy the devil who had the power over death, and only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to fear of dying. Therefore... It was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful, faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of, again, Revised Standard, Amplified Bible, American Standard, the sins of the whole world. Here's the good news to the whole world your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven once and for all. God came as a man, and as a man, he lived an absolute perfect life. He lived under the law, fulfilled all of the law. He did what we could not do, and because he did what he did as a man, and dying as a man, nobody could kill him. He was so full of life, he can't kill him. He gave up his ghost. He said, Lord, unto you I give my spirit. But you see, that perfect man, because his blood was shed, therefore he qualified to be the redeemer of every single man. And now, what do we have to do to get it? We just say... Yes, thank you very much. I'll have some. That's all you gotta do is believe. And then where is God? He's right here. He is absolutely tied to you. God attached himself to humanity forever. And even if you've been a really bad, wretched person, guess what? He is never gonna let you down. He is never gonna leave you. Even on your worst day, God is fully attached to you and he'll never, ever leave you. Never, no, never. Isn't that good? Oh, it's so good. All right, I'm almost there. I'm almost there. Colossians 2, 9 and 10. For in him, all the fullness of the deity, all of it dwelt, completely expressing his divine essence. And in him, you've been made complete. You've achieved spiritual stature through Christ. And he is the head of over all rule and all authority, every angelic being. You've been made absolutely complete, perfected, plureo. In every particular, he has completely made you right. And you can't undo it. I don't care how hard you try. You cannot change the fact that you are perfect. You can be a perfect person who does some stupid stuff. What you are then is a perfect person who did some stupid stuff. But you're still absolutely perfect because God did it and you can't undo it. Do you believe that? I tell you, you got to believe that it's good news. 1 Corinthians six seventeen. But he who is joined to the Lord every once in a while will feel his presence. He who's joined to the Lord will sometimes feel him, sometimes not. He who's joined to the Lord will be assured of his presence at times and not feel him at other times. He who's joined to the Lord is in, out, up, down. No, what's it say? It says he who's joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Please stop. I'm trying to finish. If you're hearing somebody preach a closer sermon... Take a nap. Don't you want to get closer? You know who said that? The first person who preached that sermon, you know who it was? It was the devil. As he said to Adam and Eve, don't you want to be like God? That was the temptation. Don't you want to find another way to be godly? There's only one way. It's the finished work of the cross. It's him and him alone. And all I do is drink deeply and go, another day of waves of glory. And then you know what? I begin to realize I'm actually a slave to righteousness. I can't even help myself. I'm manifesting to Christ, the life of Christ everywhere I go. More Jesus, more Jesus, more Jesus. Or you can go to the, okay, I hope I do good today. Okay, behave yourself today. Be good. God's watching. He's in me and animating me, flooding me, filling me. It's so good to be one spirit with God. Are you ready? Last verse, right there in John chapter one. He said, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from a human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from going to our catechism, learning the 23 ways to the 21 ways, learning the 52 ways to the 35 that you have to jump through 28 hoops to get there. No, it says right there, it says, it's a birth that comes from God. And again, what do you say? Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Because what do you say when you receive something good? Thank you. I believe you, Lord. And I have received him as my Lord and Savior. And that reality works in me every day. Because I don't have a God that, hey, are you going to be with me today? Hey, God, just want to start my day off with a prayer. Please be with me. Hang out with me today, would you? If I'm bad, would you still hang out with me? Please? Are you kidding? He's one with me all the time. I don't have to pray those miserable pleading things because God of his own choice, I'm born from above, an act of God. And he's attached himself to me and knit me together with him. And he's never gonna let me down.